0: Hi there, and welcome to the Love Scribe Podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Scribe. It's a few days late, but I wanted to discuss today what some acknowledge about this past Sunday, which is known by many as Pentecost Sunday. And I mention this because it was typically mentioned in the church I was a part of, and it was not uncommon to have blowout services on that day. It was not a given for that to happen. However, it was not uncommon. And I can recall hearing about Acts 2, not only on Pentecost Sunday, but on other in other services i remember hearing about acts 2 and there was an emphasis on the baptism of the holy spirit but the understanding was is that this was the the birth of the baptism of the holy spirit if you will and that the birth of the private prayer language and Reading of the scripture in Acts 2 would be done, but it may cease before getting to the verses, for example, describing the 16 nations represented that were hearing God on that day, and they were hearing of God's magnificent works in their own languages, and then proceeding to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ presented by the Apostle Peter. I continue today to see people mention Pentecost Sunday on social media, and they may mention it in passing. Stating it is the beginning of the private prayer language, and it almost seems like a badge of honor. Uh, Maybe that's a good way to put it, a badge of honor, or proof of a higher spirituality for those that acknowledge Pentecost Sunday. And I've even heard people talk about that we need another Pentecost to happen, that there's so many issues in the church, which the church is full of human beings, that with it we are living in the dispensation of grace uh, grace not to perpetuate sin, but to realize our need for the Savior, that He's ever interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, and that we are in this dispensation. But I do hear people talk about Pentecost Sunday in that capacity of, well, we need another Pentecost. We need another um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit like that, so that way the church will come into revival, and we'll wake up from our dead places. And if we'll just have that no- another Pentecost, then this is then, then the church will be able to do what it's supposed to do, and you know follow follow the, the the breadcrumbs, and you'll see what some of this talk leads to, depending on who you're talking to. So, I wanted to talk about this today in the aftermath of the Pentecost Sunday that a lot of people acknowledge. There's not necessarily anything wrong with acknowledging it, but we do need to understand biblically what Pentecost even means. And I would dare say, like myself, before I understood the, the meaning of Pentecost and the historical background to it and even the biblical background to it, I would dare say that there's a lot of people that don't even know what that means. When they think of Pentecost, they immediately think of Acts 2. They don't go to the Old Testament at all, for one thing, to even get some clarity on the biblical understanding that this was actually a Jewish feast that was taking place, and this was why the Jews were gathered. The Jewish men were gathered in Jerusalem because they were supposed to be as one of the feasts that you did that. And so I wanted to talk about this today, to talk about the biblical historical understanding of Pentecost what happened in the Old Testament that you may or may not be aware of that are typologies in the New Testament that we now see, and to maybe push back a little bit on the thing of saying, uh, on on the rhetoric of saying, well, we need another Pentecost, when maybe we need to understand the value of Pentecost in Acts and realize that there is no need for another Pentecost because the Holy Spirit has already been poured out. And he continues to be poured out on those that come to saving faith in Christ. And so we're going to look at that in Scripture today and talk about it. So let's go further back in Scripture to understand what is Pentecost. And let's discuss some things you may not have known regarding Pentecost. We're also going to talk about the debated issue of what kind of tongues were present on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And if another Pentecost is needed, as some may imply or state, whether through Modern day prophecy or personal opinion. So I'll offer a personal opinion on that based on what scripture says. Now, before we get started with this, I want to play a short clip from a a sermon that I came across by R.C. Sproul. It's older, it's about eight years old, but it was called Undervaluing Pentecost. I'm going to leave the link to it for the full message. I encourage you to listen to it. It was very insightful, very good and going back to the scripture and taking a look at that. But I want to play this quick clip for you in regards to Pentecost.
1: The apostolic interpretation of the day of Pentecost in the first instance was that it was a fulfillment of that prophetic utterance by Joel. And notice in passing that those who were gathered on that occasion were gathered because it was a Jewish feast. And it was Jewish believers who were assembled on that occasion. And notice that when the Spirit fell on Pentecost, that all of the Jewish believers who were there received this endowment from God. So it wasn't that some people received it and some didn't. There was no question of haves and have not among the Jewish believers. Now, I will say at this point that the Pentecost fell upon people who had been believers and now are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so you can see how some of our Pentecostal friends would draw from this text the idea that it's normal to believe first and then receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, unless we understand that Pentecost has a special significance in redemptive history. This is not a description of what takes place normally in everybody's life throughout the ages, but it is a description of an event There was a momentous importance in redemptive history where God pours out his spirit upon the whole church in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel.
0: So... Before I even get started on this, too, I wanted to play this this clip. And again, I encourage you to listen to the entire message from R.C. Sproul. It was very helpful, very insightful. And it's not an attack on charismatics, Pentecostals, anything like that. It's to try to help put things in perspective from a biblical standpoint and to see what the Bible has to say about Pentecost and not just focusing on Acts and creating doctrine around just that one incident, historical incident in Acts, and trying to create teaching out of that that really doesn't fully agree with the passage. But it's going back to what Scripture has to say in its entirety, and tracing it even back to the Old Testament to see what Pentecost was. Now, Pentecost is one of the Jewish feasts that That's called the Feast of Weeks. Some of you may be familiar with that. Some may not. But this was actually a Jewish feast that was being celebrated during that time. And it's also called the Feast of Weeks. This feast is a celebration, essentially, of God's provision during the wheat harvest. This was when they would do the barley harvest. And in order to get a a better understanding of this, we have to go back to the Old Testament really far back, back to Leviticus. So we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 23. And this chapter is talking about the feast. So we're going to begin in verse 15 of Leviticus 23. Says you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be made of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Now, we'll stop there, and but I encourage you to read the full chapter that goes through verse 22, dealing with the Feast of Weeks. But we can see here what is being established. This feast was a celebration, again, of God's provision during the wheat harvest, as we can see here. And what you're going to notice, which is interesting, and we'll come back to this later, but you're going to see that there are two loaves of bread to be waved, and they're made of two-tenths of an ephah, they're made of fine flour, and they're baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord that I read in verse 17. And some people have... um, specific beliefs about this based on the jewish tradition the feasts actually hold historical points as points of remembrance for example the remembrance of the passover for the jewish people is is remembering the slaying of the passover lamb before before the israelites left egypt it was to protect them against the um, angel of death that was coming through and that would plague the egyptians well, it's the same thing in this particular feast, in the Feast of Weeks. For the Jewish people, this feast was a remembrance of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. I want to read to you from a book that I've had on my Kindle for a number of years. It talks about the Jewish feast and it shares some insight that this author had received from rabbis and other writings, uh, the, the Midrash, for example, that's a Jewish document. On the first Pentecost, parentheses, week, signs and wonders accompanied the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Smoke, fire, and clouds were on the mountain. The mountain trembled, and the blast of a shofar sounded louder and louder. The voice of God was audibly heard by the entire nation. The Midrash, a collection of Jewish oral traditions of the things that happened in history, comments on Exodus 20, verse 18, about flames of fire at Sinai. On the occasion of the giving of the Torah, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but actually saw the sound waves as they emerged from the Lord's mouth. They visualized them as a fiery substance. Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp and then came back to every Jew individually, and all the people witnessed the thunderings. Note that it did not say the thunder, but the thunderings. Rabbi Johanan said that God's voice, as it was uttered, split up into 70 voices in 70 languages so that all the nations should understand. There are many scholars that actually link up the timing of what the law given on Mount Sinai to Moses was actually on Pentecost. If you count it out and look at what the first Passover was coming out of Egypt and look at the days lining up, many people make that distinction that this was not only Pertaining to the feast at Pentecost, but there's also a correlation that the Jewish people would recognize that on Pentecost, there was also the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And so we see this recorded here in this book, which, by the way, the name of this book is Unlocking the Secrets of the Feasts, the Prophecies and the Feasts of Leviticus. It's definitely been an interesting book to read. So if you're wanting to learn a little bit more about the feast or um, have some a little bit more understanding about that, then I would encourage you or suggest that you might want to check this book out. I was curious about it years ago, and so I started reading up on some of this, and it was very interesting to see the correlations here with the Old Testament and the New Testament in, in the, the areas of the feast. But in the same chapter of this, the author quotes another person talking about in the midrash saying god came down from the heavens and stepped onto the top of mount sinai there was wind lightning thunder fire smoke and there was the very loud sound of a ram's horn trumpet blowing and apparently the entire camp audibly heard the voice of god speaking the 10 commandments it says in exodus 19:16 so it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. The parallels are quite fascinating when we read in Acts two two through six, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered, because they were each one hearing them. Speak speak in his own language. So again, we know that the midrash is not scripture and that we can't prove everything as this author states that the midrash says happened. Either way, you're going to see that there is a connection here with the feast of the weeks in the Old Testament and the Feast of Pentecost or weeks in the New Testament. That's the point of making that understanding that that parallel. And there's also another neat parallel that you'll see, for example, in Acts 32 28. And we see there, for example, that the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day 3,000 men of the people fell. And that was when Moses had come down and he had found them worshiping the golden calf. This was the judgment placed upon the people, and the sons of Levi did this according to the word of Moses. And so 3,000 people were killed that day because of their, their idolatry and their sin against God. However, the parallel that we see in Acts two forty one is after Peter preaches the first sermon, and the the church is established or born, if you will, on the day of Pentecost, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see that 3,000 souls came to saving faith in Christ. So this is another encouragement. Be sure that you're not just reading the the New Testament, but read the Old and New Testament, and you're going to see the parallels, the typology, and you're also going to see vast amounts of the Old Testament being referenced in the New Testament. So, this is something to pay attention to so that we can have a better understanding. So when we talk about uh, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, we are essentially talking about what the what the Jews, what the Jewish people acknowledge was the giving of the law, and it's also the giving of the Spirit. And we can see this in other areas of the Old Testament, such as in Numbers. And um, R.C. Sproul talks about this in his sermon. So again, I refer you to that. But when we see this in Acts we can see the giving of the Spirit and the things that we've discussed. And that's why it's so important that we understand what's going on in Scripture and not just turn that one particular day into something that needs to be repeated over and over and over again, because we need to understand that that was a one-time event, but the Holy Spirit is continuing to, to outpour as was fulfilled in Joel is what Sproul was saying that we continue to see this even today, that those that are coming into the kingdom of God, they are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're being regenerated by the Holy Spirit And being baptized in the Holy Spirit means that you're being empowered. The Holy Spirit empowers us for a work of service. And so we see this empowerment by the Holy Spirit brought and established the church age. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. This was the inauguration, if you will, of the church age. And this is continuing on right now. The church is still in the earth. The church age is continuing, and so with that there is the continual outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now we can see the promise of this coming, for example, in John fourteen. Jesus himself told his disciples in John fourteen, beginning in verse fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and and will be in you. So Jesus promises to send His disciples the Holy Spirit. We also see the event in Acts two fulfilled Joel two, as we've talked about, and as I've already said, the event in Acts two fulfilled Joel two, extending on to those who would believe in Christ and be empowered to proclaim the good news. And even when we consider Acts uh, chapter one verse eight, it's really fascinating when you think about it. The disciples that were there. Um, on the day of Pentecost, they were fulfilling what Jesus told them in Acts 1.8. He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we see this as we go through Acts that in those days even... The scholars point to the fact that in that time, the ends of the earth pointed to Rome, pointed to the the Gentile area. And so we also know, too, that the ends of the earth, it applies today from what we understand, because we know that the that um, the inhabitation of earth is far more vast than what was even in the first century A.D. So when we look at this, we see that in their time, the ends of the earth pointed to even to Rome, to the Gentiles. And every time you read in scripture, when there was persecution that was coming, what do you usually see that's following that in Acts? It says that the church grew, it increased. So even in the midst of persecution and that darkness, that, that the trials and suffering that surrounded that, you see an increase coming, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit continuing in the church age to grow the church, to grow the body of Christ. And so these believers are fulfilling what Jesus told them they would do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What were they doing? They were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were doing what God had ordained them to do and had commissioned them to do, authorized them to do in proclaiming the gospel and working in miracles, signs, and wonders, which authenticated their ministry. That was very different than the super apostles, for example, that you see in 2 Corinthians 12, 11 and 12, that, that Paul is admonishing because he is correcting them and even rebuking them and warning the people against them because their ministry, quote-unquote ministry, was not validated. It was not authenticated. But they saw the signs and wonders of the apostles. They saw the works of the apostle by signs and wonders is what he tells them in 2 Corinthians. A lot of little um, nuggets to glean from there in Acts 2 that takes us back into the Old Testament and to recognize the typology there. The Baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers for service. Now, one of the things that was really um, <laughs> ingrained into me um and to others surrounding Acts two, is that there was the giving of the private prayer language. And I still hear this today that people proclaim that even on Pentecost Sunday or on social media and things that they'll write this and they'll talk about how that the private prayer language was given in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And the scripture is pretty clear in Acts 2 that this was not a private prayer language. It's very plain when you read the text that this was not what was going on. This was a miraculous thing that took place where... Really, there, there's different areas of Scripture that we can think about with this. For one thing, we've already talked about Pentecost and that in the Midrash, that they um, believe that, that God's voice spoke into many uh, different areas, uh, 70 different areas to many other nations. And we see this of the, the 16, I believe it's 16 different nations that are represented on the day of Pentecost that are there to celebrate the the jewish feast of pentecost and they're coming from 16 different areas we see this in verse 7 that they were amazed So in verse six, we see, and at the sound, the multitude came together when they heard the people speaking in tongues. Um, They were speaking in their own language is what it says. And verse seven, they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. So not everybody um, heard the right way. There were others that did not hear, it sounds like, in verse 13, that are mocking. And they don't understand, they don't recognize what's going on with the testifying of the works of God. This even goes back to 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he explains to them that tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. Again, this is not a private prayer language. I know that there will be people that will argue about this, but the text seems pretty clear and pretty plain. This was a miraculous thing that took place on the day of Pentecost. And instead of it being like in Babel, uh, in the Old Testament, where God uh, confused the languages and made them separate to where they couldn't, uh, they could no longer understand one another. This was a bringing together, if you will, to, to hear the mighty works of God and to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was a sign to the unbeliever, not to believers. And I know this kind of shakes up the apple cart for people when they hear this and and addressing this area because there are people that really fully believe in the private prayer language. And this is not to debate this today. This is to make some points to help push us back into the word of God in the proper context. Because if we think about the spiritual gifts, for example, the spiritual gifts are not for building up self, they're for building up the church. And so we see here that the, the tongues that were given in Acts 2, in Acts 10, in Acts 19, and it's a, mir- it's a miraculous sign of known languages in the earth given to people that could not know them naturally. That's why these people were amazed. They were amazed that these Galileans were speaking in their languages, in their dialects, and they were hearing them testify of the works of God. And from this, this opened up the way for the gospel to be ministered. And this should also help us to understand that whenever there's miracles, signs, and wonders, there's patterns here in Scripture. That's a whole other topic for another day. Whenever you see miracles, signs, and wonders attributed in Acts, for example, the gospel accompanies, and by the way, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It would behoove us to to know what the true gospel is based on what Scripture says. So going back to this, we can see that these are known languages in the earth. They were unknown to the Galileans. This was a miraculous supernatural thing that did take place. And because of that, 3,000 souls came into the kingdom of God. And so we definitely need to take note of this and consider this when we're reading it. And for those of us who sat for years and hearing some of these verses and it seemed like it stopped... Where people either read what these verses were saying or they just didn't get to, they just stopped right before reaching these verses, and then things were taken out of context in order to say it's a private prayer language. That's not what it's saying. And we need to truthfully consider that when we're reading the text of Scripture and read it in context and notice and note it for what it is. It is a truly miraculous thing that took place and it was ministering to the Jewish people at that time. Now the question is is there another is there a need for another Pentecost and the answer simply to this is no because the church began on the day of Pentecost and we can rest assured in that uh, the apostles and prophets have already established the foundation and we can see this in Ephesians 2:20 that they laid the foundation and as you've heard probably more than one person say on more than one occasion. When you think about how a building is built, you only lay a foundation once. You don't continue to lay a foundation. So the church is being built on top of the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which is the uh, the revelation given through the New Testament, through the, the word of God. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a completed prophecy that ushered in the church age and the new covenant in which all believers are given the Holy Spirit. And I got this off one of the areas I was looking up on gotquestions.org that was very helpful, which I do want to read the last two paragraphs of one of those to you. And I think that it will also bring some additional clarity. Under the question of what is the Feast of Weeks on gotquestions.org, it had to say this in the last two paragraphs, and I thought this, again, was very good, so I'm going to read it. The spiritual significances of the Feast of Weeks are many. Some see the two loaves of leavened bread that were to be a wave offering as foreshadowing the time when the Messiah would make both Jew and Gentile to be one in him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This is also the only feast where leavened bread is used. Leaven in Scripture is often used symbolically of sin, and the leavened bread used in the Feast of Weeks is thought to be representative of the fact that there is still sin within the church, body of Christ, and will be until Christ returns again. On the day of Pentecost or the feast of weeks the first fruits of the church were gathered by Christ as some three thousand people heard peter present the gospel after the Holy Spirit had empowered and indwelt the disciples as promised with the promised indwelling of the Holy Spirit the first fruits of God's spiritual harvest under the new covenant began. Today that harvest continues as people continue to be saved, but there is also another coming harvest whereby God will again turn his attention back to Israel so that all of Israel will be saved. Romans chapter 11 verse 26. Now we can see a better view of Pentecost and its significance in this. And we've talked about the different areas as far as what the tongues were, the the feast itself, what it represented, the typology that we can see. I'm sure that there's far more detail that we could go into, but this just kind of helps you skim the surface. And this also helps to maybe um, incite some interest in you to continue to further your study your study of the scriptures and to dig deeper into the word and to get excited about Bible study and about reading the Word, because this is, again, part of our fellowship and intimacy with Christ, is understanding His Word so that we draw closer to Him, and that we're glorifying Him in all that we do in Word and deed. And we can't fully do that with understanding His Word. And it's really, it's it's exciting, It's and it's very interesting to read some of these things, and it's almost like putting a puzzle together. And when you start to see what's going on in the Old Testament, and it's revealed in the New Testament, it really gives you a greater love and appreciation for the Word of God. So I hope that this podcast has been helpful to you. If you've never uh, focused on Pentecost Sunday or been a part of people mentioning that, there's nothing wrong with mentioning that, but we just need to understand the proper context of it and not make it something that it's not, or as in the sermon I hope that you'll listen to that I post with R.C. Sproul, he talks about that his concern with people that put such an emphasis on Pentecost, that they are, they have a low view of it. And that may very well be what's going on uh, with some of this is that there's such a low view of it and, and an improper understanding. And I, for one was one of those people that had an, a, a low view, I would say because of my lack of understanding and so now having a better understanding and continuing in that understanding, continue to gain more understanding of it. I see now the great significance in that, and that significance is not lost. It has not lost its power from the day that the Holy Spirit came in the outpouring and to empower for a work of service. And I would also encourage you to even doing a, a, a study a, a study on the, the Greek words that are used for filled in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts and in even the Ephesians, I've done this too and looked at that, is that that word that's used in Acts for filled is not the same as it is in Ephesians when it's used in Acts, and it's you can see this repetitively through Acts when it's used for filled with the Spirit. This is a, a word that's used in the, such a way that it means a for a single event for a personal work of service that the Holy Spirit is empowering that individual Peter Paul whoever is being addressed there for a work of service. For the Lord. Whereas in Ephesians 5, you see that the field is a continual process, continual progression into spiritual maturity of being filled with the Spirit. So just something to think about there and continuing your study. But I want this to help you to to give you an even deeper love for the word of God, to search the scriptures yourself, to be a good Berean. And um, as always, I enjoyed being on here with you. I look forward to our next time on here as we continue to grow in the word and to test things against scripture and to be good Bereans. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.